So, fathers, happy Father's Day. If you're a dad, if you're a father here, uh, thank you for being here because, frankly, being in the uh, church assembly on Father's Day or any other day is really a sign of manhood. It's a sign of fatherhood. It's a sign of being a leader in your family. So thank you for, for being here this morning. I want to take a moment and pray for the, all the dads, all the fathers that are here today and um, just ask for God's blessing and God's grace and God's help because being a father today is harder than it's ever been. I don't think it's ever been more difficult to be a father, to be a dad in, in our culture, in our pop culture today than it ever has been. So uh, would you join me and let's pray together and Let's ask God to bless our dads and our fathers. Let's pray. And so, Father, we call you, Father. And for some of us, that's a difficult thing because we didn't have a good father. We didn't have a role model. We didn't have a dad. But you, as you're described in Scripture, and as we see good examples in our world, we know what a good dad is. We know what a good father is. And even though we may not even know who our dad is, we may not know, uh, we have, may not have experienced a good father, we know you are. And the moment we give our hearts and lives to Jesus, you become our father. And we can come to you, and you know us, and you love us. I pray for the fathers here today, Father. I pray that you would help them to be the dads that you've called them to be. And Sometimes that's a difficult job. Sometimes they're pulled in a lot of different directions and they feel as though they're inadequate and they've failed. But thank you, Father, that today is a new day. And as long as they draw breath, as long as they have a pulse, you have a plan for their lives. They can have a relationship with their children. They can be a father. We ask, Father, for those who feel as though it's too late. They've, it's, uh, they've just been a terrible failure. They feel guilty. They feel discouraged about uh, the role they played. I pray, Father, that you would encourage their hearts today. And today would be a new day, a day of beginnings, where they would say, today I'm going to become the dad I need to be. For those who maybe have tried and gotten either lazy or uh, just not worked very hard at it and not taken up the, the torch of being a father... May today be a day that that torch is relit. I pray for those dads that are struggling because of losses. They've lost children. They they feel a loss today. That you would be a very present help in this day and time. For the single dads out there that are trying to do their very best and find it very difficult. And find each day a challenge of its own. Father, we all as fathers and dads... We all need wisdom. We all need your help. We realize that we can't be the dads that we are called to be without you empowering us, enlightening us, and enabling us to be the dads that only you can make us be. Thank you, Father, for the dads that are here. May they have a blessed day today. And may today be a day where they'll reignite that, you'll reignite within them that passion to be the father, the leader that you've called them to be so that young men and young women will grow up knowing what a loving father is. When they think of Heavenly Father, they'll know what that means. So for your blessing, Father, for your help, we call out to you today and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this, uh, this weekend I'm working through the book of Genesis. If you're new to Hope Church, we're kind of moving through the book of Genesis because what I've said to our people is this. I've said, to understand the New Testament, you really have to understand a couple of key books in the Old Testament. Genesis would be one of them. Exodus would be another. There are others. But So I said, well, I need to really talk about the book of Genesis. So we've kind of been walking through, not verse by verse, but we've been kind of going story by story and trying to follow the, the, the overall theme and what God is doing theologically through the book of Genesis. And we said a couple of weeks, well, we started a while ago, and we said God created a perfect place so that He could be with man and in the garden. And, and it was. It was a perfect place, and God was with man, walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then uh, Adam and Eve had one one choice, whether they were going to follow God or not, and they chose not to, and all hell broke out on earth, and all hell broke out in relationships, and the world became a very dark place. And uh, I talked about that a few weeks ago and uh, just said, you know, you can't open the newspaper without seeing the effects of sin. And the world has gotten so bad now that God has come to a place where he says, I'm going to, re, I'm going to, re, I'm going to destroy it, I'm going to start over, I'm going to start over, because it's such a mess. And so that's kind of where we're at. We're at a place where God is going to restart. He's going to, uh, he's going to begin again with a man named Noah and his family. Now, I wanted to do justice to the Noah story or to the flood story. So I did a lot of research. I was really diligent this week. In fact, to the, 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 centerpiece of my research was watching the Noah movie that just came out. Some of you are laughing, and I don't know if you're laughing because you saw the movie or because you think that's not a good way to do research. Both are pretty funny. But the point is, this is the movie by Russell Crowe, and it's Noah, and it's, you know, it's, it's Hollywood's take on this whole Noah story. And because so many people, can I just say this, though? If you're thinking of renting that movie, don't. Okay? Don't bother. I mean, for entertainment value, okay. But for understanding the Noah story or the flood story, yeah, probably not a good reference work there. Um, But the reason I want to spend... I, I feel like I need to spend some time talking about the flood story and just a little bit about that because... So many people get their theology and biblical knowledge from Hollywood and from the movies. So they, they see it in a movie and they say, well, that must be the way it happened. So I want to I clear up a few things from, for some of you who maybe watched the movie. And if somebody were to say, well, how close was it? I can give you a kind of a few contrasts, okay? So I already said that the world had gotten so bad that God decided that He was going to start over. So he calls Noah to build an ark, and Noah is just this righteous person, and he's going to build an ark, and he's going to rescue he and his family and, and the animals. And so Noah, the first thing I want to say about Noah is he was not some crazy, maniacal, bloodthirsty killing machine, okay? At which he is portrayed on in the movie as, and it's he was a righteous and thoughtful man. In fact, this is what it says in the Noah. The flood account. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person 
uh, living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. There's only a few people in the whole Old Testament that that's said of. Job is one. Enoch, it says, walked with God. And, and here we have another. We have Noah. So this is God's statement that he was a righteous person, the most righteous person on the earth at that time. You say, well, he didn't seem so righteous in the movie. Well, yeah, that's the movie. But the point is, he was a righteous person. The writer of Hebrews says this. You don't have to turn there, but it's Hebrews 11:7. He says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. And so the writer of Hebrews saying is, Noah had to have faith. And what is faith? Faith is seeing something or believing is something because you've been told something's going to happen. Even though you've never seen it before, you trust someone else. And, God, and essentially what Noah was doing is he was trusting God's word that what God said was going to happen. And in that sense, he was condemning the rest of the world because he trusted God. And that's why Noah was a righteous person. He proved his righteousness. Now, in the movie, it's interesting because as you go through the movie, Noah is doing all the talking. He's crying out to God. Everybody's crying out to God, waiting for God. And God is, you know, just silent. You never hear a word, a peep out of God. Okay? But Noah's crying out to God and God is silent. But when you go through the, the flood story and the story of Noah, do you know that Noah doesn't say hardly, he doesn't say a word. He never says a word. Three chapters, he doesn't say a word. The first time Noah says a word is when he curses his son in a cave when he's uh, laying there drunk. It's not during any of the flood. It says God said, God said, God said. Noah, Noah is almost like a cardboard cutout character in the Bible. In a sense, the point of the story is it's not about Noah, it's about God. It's not about Noah. It's about God. It's about what God's doing to His creation and how He's using a person who happens to be named Noah to do that. So they kind of got it wrong. But God clearly communicated to Noah. This is what He says. This is what God says to Noah in one place. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out. Or excuse me. I will wipe them all out along with the earth, build a large boat uh, with uh, from cypress wood. So there's uh, you know there's God communicating. He does this over and over again. Right? No one you know Noah never says a word. But you know God's always talking. Now it's interesting because when you come to Moses in, in in Exodus, God is speaking to Moses and Moses is speaking to God. It's a two way dialogue. But here it's just one way. Noah's ark was probably about 450 feet long and was 75 feet wide and probably 45 feet deep. Uh, Noah's uh, family remained on the ark probably for about a year. Can you imagine? Talk about tight quarters. Talk about can you can you can he catch a whiff of that? What that must have been like? What a ride, huh? Um, and in the movie, they have these uh, crazy demon-possessed rock people that happen to be preservers of Noah. Um, the Bible doesn't give us any indication that there were rock people, these superhuman rock people. The only thing I could think of, and I was thinking, well, where did they get this idea? And I'm thinking, well, I think it's that, that you know, what we talked about last weekend, the, the sons of God married the daughters of men, and they were warriors and all that stuff. 
yeah, but where did the rock people come from? You know, so it's like they have these rock people around. I don't think there were rock people, sorry. Um, also, Tubal Cain uh, basically snuck aboard the, the, the uh, spoiler alert for those of you that. Uh, he, 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 he snuck, and he's the bad guy, snuck aboard the ark and essentially got into a knife fight with Noah and, and ultimately was, was killed together. Another, not, it's not in the scripture, okay? Um, but I do want to give the producers credit because they did get a few things correct. They got his name right. He did build a boat. And what else? Oh, yes, there were animals on the ark. <laughs> That's about it, folks. <laughs> Everything else is, well, not so, not so much. The key verse, though, in, in, uh, in this whole story, I think, is chapter 8, verse 1. And this is what it says. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. God remembered Noah. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I'm going through a difficult time. I'm going through a storm. I'm going through, and I just wonder if God even knows what I'm going through. Has he forgotten me? Does God care? And I just want you to say Genesis 8.1 where God, it says in the scripture, and God remembered Noah. God knows what you're going through. God knows your storm. God knows you. He remembers you. He knows what you're going through. Uh, can you imagine, though, as Noah got off the boat, as they finally disembarked the boat, and uh, you, you, they had this incredible storm, this incredible flood. They spent a year on the ark. Everything had been destroyed by water, and probably the first time it began to rain, they must have gone, oh, no, right? Is there going to be another flood? Are we safe? And so God comes to Noah, and he gives him a, a promise, a beautiful sign. He says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again. I am going to lay my rainbow in the sky. And that will be a reminder to you that I will never destroy the earth again by water. Notice what it says. So the story of Noah and the flood shows us that God offers second chances, that he is the God who brings new beginnings. So I want to ask you a couple questions today. Do you want a new beginning? Do you need a second chance? Um, you say, well, it's too late, I've done too much, I'm, there's, there's no hope. And I just want to say, as long as you draw in your breath, as long as you have a pulse, take your pulse, beep, 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 it's working. Okay, I'm alive, all right? So as long as I'm drawing your breath, as long as I'm alive, there's hope. There's a second chance. There's a, a new beginning. And that's essentially what the, the story is we're going to look at. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And I'd love you to turn there. It's on page 8 of the Chair Bible. And really, this is really what God is saying to Noah and his family. He's saying, here's a second chance. Here's a new beginning. And I don't know where you're at today, but many of us would probably say, you know what, it wouldn't be a bad, idea, a bad thing to have a second chance or a new beginning. And, you know, if you want to go back and erase all the past and start over, well, of course, that's not possible. But if you want to say, no, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a marker line down here and from today on, there's going to be a new beginning. There's going, to be a, a new, there's going to be new hope. There's a second chance. Because I believe that's what God wants us to take from this passage today. But let's look at our passage. This is Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And I'd love you to follow along with me. This is on page 8. And the reason I want you to follow along is because I want you to interact with the Word of God because I believe that's where the power is. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. 
all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life must also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in His own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Then God said to Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with, your an- and with all the animals and that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on the earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and all, with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is a sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on the earth. So God gives Noah from this passage three pretty important instructions. And I just want to look at three of them. The third one's the one I want to spend the most time on, but I want to talk about all three. The first one is this. God is essentially saying to Noah, you and your family have a new start. You and your family have a new beginning. Now, be good stewards. Be good stewards. I'm giving you this earth. I'm giving you this sandbox. And there's just a few basic rules, just like the garden. Now, stay in the sandbox, play by the rules, and take care of this creation. Take care of this creation. See, Christians are to be mindful of how we're taking care of this world. And I'm alarmed sometimes when I hear Christians who have a theology of the end that says God's going to destroy the earth and decimate the earth, so who cares how we take care of it or whether we take care of it or whether we manage it well or whether we uh, just destroy it because God's going to remake it anyways. But what I see in the garden and what I see here is God is giving us a creative mandate. He's saying, this is my garden. This is my creation. You are visitors here. You are guests here. Now care for it. Take care of it. Be concerned about ecology. Be concerned about, uh, you know, recycling. Be, be concerned. Of, and again, I'm not trying to get all namsy-pamsy on you. I'm just saying that there is a, a mandate here that we are to care for this world because it belongs to Him. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. This is part of His glorious creation. We ought to treat it with dignity and respect. We ought to love it. We ought to care for it. Because we are guests here. So we need to have a creative creation mandate. We are called to be good earth keepers. And the question is, are you a good earth keeper? Okay, so I don't want to go on about that. I'm not going to write some statement about global warming or any other, I'm not going to go there, but my point is this, that we have a role within our community to make it a better place, to make it more beautiful and to care for it. Secondly, not only are we to be good stewards of the earth, but we're to treat life with dignity and respect. 
that all life is sacred. It's very clear here. Genesis 9-6 is a key passage of Scripture because what God is saying there is every life is precious. Every human life is precious. Life is precious. Don't take it for granted. Don't cheapen it. All life deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Don't take life uh, just wantonly. Because that was what was going on before the flood. Murder and, 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 and uh, life was just very cheap. And we live in a culture today that is cheapening human life. Human life has become uh, almost like, is this, a, is, this a, is this going to cramp my style? Are you in my way? Uh, do I want... So we have to come to a place where we understand that human life is valuable. Now, why is human life valuable? It's valuable because we are created in the image of of God. Every person on this planet bears the image of God. Doesn't matter what uh, gender they are, doesn't matter what race they are, doesn't matter what uh, tribe they're from, doesn't matter how educated they are, doesn't matter whether they're physically uh, pretty or not, doesn't matter, d- doesn't matter. Every person has the image of God stamped on them. And God is basically saying human life is valuable. And He says in, in chapter 9, verse 6, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life must also be taken by human hands. Excuse me. Uh, for God made human beings in His own image. Now, some from this passage will make an argument for capital punishment. And frankly, I think you can get into a discussion about that, but I don't think that's the point here. I think the point that God is saying here is treat human life with respect and dignity. Honor it. Cherish it. And when, when it's not done, then something needs to be done to protect society. Um, but the point is that God says everyone bears the, 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 the crux of the reason why life is valuable is not because we as a society say it's valuable. It's because God says it's valuable because it's created in my image. That's why. See, God brings the value to life, not us. God's just saying... Life is valuable, now you recognize that. This is my creation, now you recognize that. So essentially God's giving us directives there. The third one is the one I want to spend just a little bit of time on is this. Make the most of your second chance. And I think that's essentially what this, this whole passage is about. What, what God is saying to Noah and his family is that you have a second chance. Make the best of it. Make the most of it. Do a good job here. Don't, don't, don't mess it up. Um, I believe that... Uh, he gave Moses certain boundaries, but he said, essentially, go and live your life. Enjoy, the, enjoy this earth. Don't abuse it. Enjoy one another. Don't abuse one another. But live in this world. Take care of this world. And enjoy this world. And, and God wants us uh, to make the most of our second chances. And maybe you're here this, 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 this morning and, and you are a father. And I just want to speak to the dads. I want to speak to the fathers for a minute. It may be that when I was praying that prayer, and I was, uh, you, you feel like um, I haven't done a very good job as a dad. I haven't ve- but done a very good job as a father. I, failed, I feel like I failed my children. I, I think any father feels to a certain extent we could have done better, obviously. But some of us feel like we haven't really done very well at all. And we wonder, what do, what do I do now? Because I realize now, through all the decisions I've made over the years, I've made some terrible decisions, and it's really affected my children. What do I do now? And the answer is this. You start again. You start today. 
Because what God is saying to you is, no matter how badly you have done up to this point, no matter how much, much you can still begin to be the father and the dad today, as long as you draw a breath, as long as you have a pulse, God says you have a second chance. God says you can become the dad that God wants you to be. And it would be much better at your funeral, and not to do it for that reason, but it would be much better at your funeral for people to say, you know what, they finally got it. They ended a lot better than they started. And for some of you young dads who think you got the world by the tail and you're, you're going to you know, go for it, and, but here's the thing, life's going to get busy, life's going to get challenging, and you're going to be able to put things ahead of being what God's called you to be, a, a, a spiritual leader, to be somebody who loved. And, and how can you be the dad that you need to be? How can you be the dad that you need to be? Number one, if you're married, because I know there are single dads out there, if you're married, the most powerful thing you could do, ever do is love God. That's number one. If your kids see that you love God, that will that, they'll see it. They'll see the real deal. But if you're just a hypocrite and you say, oh, we go to church and we say the right things, but you know, the rest of the week we live like hell, yeah, they'll get that. They'll, they'll pick that up about four or five years old. Okay, But you, you, you say, I'm going to love God. I'm going to have that relationship with God. And then if you're married, you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And your kids see what it looks like to have a mom and a dad who both love God and they love one another. And when you do that, then you've, be, you've got the basis... To be the dad that you, you know, you may have failed in those areas. We all have failed in those areas to a certain extent. But you can begin because as long as you're drawing a breath, you have an opportunity. You have time. You can build relationships. You can repair things. You may have done a lot of damage, but there's always hope and there's always time. The reason that many of your kids don't want anything to do with you is because you're just the same old person that you were. But if you become a different person and if you begin to pray and God begins to change your heart, you'll be amazed at what God may do in that relationship. You can still turn your life around and have a positive impact and be a godly influence on your family. That's what I'm saying to you. Now, let's talk just for a minute about the Noahic Covenant. Our passage ends with God saying to Noah and his family, I'll never destroy the earth again. I'm never going to do it again. Um, and he makes a covenant. Now, a covenant is just simply this. It's an agreement. It's a contract. It's a, two parties come together and they say, you do this and I'll do this and I won't do this and you won't do this. Yes, we're agreed. And then they'll have some way of c- confirming the covenant and they'll have a sign of the covenant generally is the way it goes. In this case, in the Noahic covenant, God makes a promise to Adam, or excuse me, to Noah. And he says, Noah, I'm never going to destroy the earth again. Never going to do it. It's all on me. And I'm going to put a bow in the air and you're going to see the rainbow. And that's going to be a reminder that I'll never do this again. Uh, so God, in this case, makes a one-sided covenant. It's all on God that he will never again flood the earth. But then God gives Noah the sign. And the sign of the covenant, and it's interesting because the sign of the covenant for bow is it, in, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, it's used as a battle bow. It's the bow that you go to war with. And what God is saying to Noah here is, yes, the, the earth became so corrupted, I have to had it destroyed. I had to take my battle bow and I had to destroy the earth with water. I, my wrath poured down and that generation was destroyed. But what I'm doing, Noah, right now is I'm taking my battle bow and I'm putting it up in the sky and it'll be pretty to look at and it'll be beautiful. 
And it will not be facing to earth. It will be facing up. So you don't have to fear it. It will be beautiful. But it will be a sign to you that I have laid aside my battle bow and I will no longer destroy the earth. And everyone will see it when it rains. When it rains, you don't have to fear because you'll see the bow. Now, so his, his battle bow has become not a, a bow of wrath, but a bow of peace. A bow of beauty. A bow of promise, right? So let me ask you a question. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not? Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It seems like you just... (laughs) How would you do that? Why would you do that? And I just want to say that uh, today is an opportunity for you for a second chance. Today is an opportunity for you for a new beginning. And it begins, if you've never given your heart to Christ, by that. If you never have called upon the Lord, today is the day that begins. Now, I want you to turn to a passage because I want you to see something. Because this is where we tie in what I'm talking about now. 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. And on page 939, 939 of the Chair Bible. Now, in this passage, Peter is going to talk about people who have been warned before that God's judgment is coming. In other words, Peter's saying judgment is coming, but people didn't think it was coming. They thought they had time. They thought they, they, God was, wasn't going to judge. They had plenty of time. They didn't have to repent. They were okay. And what Peter is saying, they were wrong. Judgment came. And then he's going to say, judgment is going to come in the future. So let me read you that passage. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to read 5 through 7 and then verse 9. They deliberately forgot that God had made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water that surrounded it with water. Now notice he's making reference to the flood now. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So Peter's point is this. God's judgment came in the past. God's judgment is coming in the future. God doesn't want people to be destroyed. He's waiting. And, and, and his argument was, is that Peter, the people that Peter is talking to saying, God isn't going to judge. God isn't going to come. And what Peter is saying is, yes, he is. And the only reason he's waiting, he's waiting to give you enough chance to repent, to turn to Christ, to find salvation. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, not tomorrow, not next week. And I don't know where you're at spiritually, but I do know this, that judgment is coming. And if you're not under the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've you've never called upon Christ as your Savior, you're in trouble. Peter is speaking to the people and he's saying, yes, it doesn't seem like judgment is coming, but be assured it is coming just like it came in the past, just like those when the judgment before it came didn't think it was coming, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is, it came. And he's saying it will come in the future. This time it won't be by water, it will be by fire. 
long as you're drawing a breath today, as long as you have a pulse, today is the day. And if you've never given your heart and life, and I'm speaking to dads, if, if you've never given your heart to Christ, if you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, you're trying to be good enough, you're trying to go to church, you just try and hope, and I'll, I'll eke it out, give it up. Realize that unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're, you're dead. Now, on Calvary, when Jesus was hanging in the cross, it said that it became dark, pitch dark. And, and on that day in Calvary, God took his battle bow up. The wrath of God came down to earth. It came down. And it hit one person on the cross. It hit Christ on the cross while he was hanging there. And Jesus cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he finally cried out, it is finished. And what was Jesus was saying was, the battle bull, the wrath of God was pointed down on me. The wrath that we should have taken, the, the punishment that we should have taken, the, the penalty that we should have paid came upon Christ. And when we put ourselves, when we call upon Christ and we ask Jesus Christ to be the Savior of our lives, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, the one who takes the wrath of God away, when, when we do that and we put ourselves under Christ, the New Testament says we put ourselves under His blood, when we do that, we call upon Christ and we become Christians, the minute we do that, we are under His blood. And the wrath that God that came down from heaven on Christ that dark day, we're shaded, we're protected, we're kept from it. And the wrath of God was taken by Christ for us. So I want to give a, a, a new meaning to the battle bow. Jesus took the, bear, the, 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 the arrows of God's wrath, of God's judgment. The, 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 the wrath, the penalty that we should have taken, He took for you and for me. And you will not stand before God if you're not under the blood of Christ. You will have no chance. And I just want to say, if you've never accepted Christ Jesus as Savior, what Peter is saying, if the Lord were to return today, there will be a day where Christ, where God will take His battle bow and the wrath of God will be poured out again. And it will be on you if you're not under His blood and you will be an absolute sitting duck. That's what Peter's saying. And that's why Peter says, you have a breath? Do you have a pulse? You have, have you repented? No. Today. Today. Because unless you repent, you're a sitting duck. So I don't know where you're at today, but if you're here without Jesus Christ, you are under the wrath. God took the bow and He said to, he said to Noah, He says, I'm putting the battle bow up. I will, I will never judge the earth again by water. Peter says there will be, well, the Bible says there was a judgment. It took place over 2,000 years ago on the cross where God took his bow up and he, he poured his wrath out on his son for our sin. And Peter says one day God will, be, God will pick up his battle bow one more time and it will be one final judgment. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. It's a very dark time. That the battle bow will be brought up again and God's punishment will, and judgment will be meted out on those who do not know Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Do you know Him as Savior? 
Have you asked Him to come into your life and to be your Savior? Have you given your life to Him as He gave His life for you? Have you done that? If you're not, you're a sitting duck. You're an absolute sitting duck. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the rainbow, I hope, has new meaning to you. Not just God's not going to destroy the world from wrath anymore, but God has set his battle bow up. And if you're under the blood of Jesus Christ, when you see a rainbow, you realize the price for my sin was paid in full when Jesus Christ took the wrath of God on the cross. And God set His battle bow up for us once and for all and said, forgiven, peace. If you're under the blood of Christ, you don't need to fear the battle bow anymore because it was already poured out. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? Today is the day. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Peter says God is waiting to bring that judgment to pick up his battle bow again, not wishing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. Turn from their way and turn to God. I want to lead you in a word of prayer. And as I do that, uh, it may be that you've never trusted Christ and this prayer will be a reflection of your heart today. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. And Father, I do not know where people's hearts are, but you do. I pray for someone who's here today, Father, maybe a, a number, who say, I'm lost, I've tried my best, but I realize now for the first time that I need a Savior. And I realize Jesus is that Savior, that He took the punishment that, that I should have had. He lived the life I should have lived, and He died the death I should have died. It should have been me there. It should be my punishment. But Jesus took it for me. And Father, I realize I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm helpless and hopeless, and without You uh, sending Jesus and He dying on the cross for me, I'm, I'm dead, I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable, I'm lost. And He gave His life for me. And now, Father, by faith, I give my life to You. I kneel before You. I bow before You. I call upon You. I ask You to forgive me because of Jesus. And I thank You that by faith, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, You have forgiven me. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it but because You have graciously blessed me. And I thank You that I can begin today with a new beginning and a new start. For those of us, Father, who have been forgiven and we've called upon the Lord maybe many years ago, may we never look at a rainbow the same. May we understand that 2,000 years ago, Your wrath was poured down. And then after that, you took your bow and you set it aside. That we who are under the blood will not see your wrath, will not see your judgment, because Jesus did for us. We thank you. We praise you. May we look at the rainbow as our peace with you 
our joy with You. Our new life with You. And thank You, Father, for the forgiveness and freedom that only Jesus can give to everyone who calls upon Him. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.